uh, faster turnaround, lower cost production. I, yeah. I, I, need, I don't need the craft, I just need lots of it and, and uh, I need it quickly. Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultancy. And welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Now, if you're enjoying the Managing Marketing podcast, please either like, review or share this episode to help spread the words and wisdom from our guests each week. This week, we're discussing value-based pricing models for agency fee arrangements and looking at the considerations for agencies, advertisers, and procurement. Value-based pricing, or output-based pricing, as I often called it, has been around for quite a while, but until recently has struggled to gain any meaningful traction until now. Driven by the rise of generative AI and the downward impact this has on resource-based fee models, more agencies are embracing value-based pricing models. The problem is that many agencies struggle with this, with often confusing and conflicting advice on approaches. Likewise, many advertisers and their procurement teams are unsure how this approach will work. To discuss this, please welcome back to Managing Marketing Podcast, someone who knows firsthand from all perspectives, the commercially savvy, hands-on finance director, a CPA with more than two decades of experience managing the finances of media, creative, PR agencies and more, Nick Hand. Welcome, Nick. Hello, Darren. Uh, thank you for having me again. Well, look, uh, I couldn't think of anyone more uh, qualified or suited to talk about this issue because, yeah, one is that we work with this virtually every day, this idea of uh, value-based models or pricing models. But the other is that with your agency experience and now working with clients and procurement teams, your perspective will be reasonably unique in the level of, you know, your experience in that space? Because I think there's a lot of pretenders in this that uh, have jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah, I think there's uh, a, a lot of people that has have, have, as you say, jumped on the bandwagon, but a lot of the advice I've found is not really practical um, and the philosophies aren't necessarily uh, conducive to, to, to the realities of that um, advertiser agency relationship. So hopefully we can uh, unpick some of those problems today. Well, I think a good place to start is to actually define what value-based pricing is, because I think there's some, you know, uh, some confusion even around that. You know, from your perspective, how would you define value-based pricing as in regards to agency fees? Yeah, I think the first thing, and and this is where a lot of the literature that's out there makes a fundamental mistake, is it's not performance-based. Um, the commercial outcomes. Um, of the, the advertiser's business are obviously important. That's what um, all agencies are striving to improve. But to base the fee on that uh, entirely, uh, I, I think is wrong. That's uh, what we would call uh, and have for many years a performance-based remuneration. And that still has a separate place to play um, over and above uh, what we're going to talk about today. So it's, it's, it's not solely performance-based. Uh, neither is it cost-based. So the traditional agency resource and, and head hour model is basically the agency attempting to recover their costs of doing business. Uh, and what we're going to uh, uh, talk about in, in, in greater depth uh, is moving beyond that 
to something that's uh, hopefully going to be more sustainable for both the agency and for the advertiser. So, Nick, if it's not cost-based, and that's the traditional model, you know, what's my salary cost, billable hours, overhead and profit margin to get me an hourly rate that then can be used to calculate retainers or project fees or even bill by the hour. And it's not a performance-based model where you're actually rewarding the agency for the delivery of financial performance. Then what is it? Oh, it's simply a price for delivery of a service. Um, the, the output that's uh, commensurate with the perceived value from the advertiser or the buyer's perspective. Okay, so in many ways, it's the same way as most clients would be pricing their products and services anyway. You know, yep. that it's not actually based only on cost, it's based on the perceived value that that has. Correct. When we go and buy a car, we don't uh, inquire with the dealer what the costs were of the inputs to, uh, to build the car. Um, we see a car, uh, as a consumer, we like the, the features and the benefits that it provides and we decide whether the price that's asking is, uh, uh, aligns with it, uh, what we perceive as the value of that car and pay or not accordingly. And often that uh, variation has got nothing to do with the rational things like, you know, most cars have four wheels and a way to steer them. And, you know, in fact, I was surprised at uh, how many of the prestige features, you know, like the... Uh, the, the uh, dynamic cruise controls and things like that that you were, you know, a few years ago only saw in, in the luxury car market and now through the virtually every uh, model and, and brand. Yeah, I, I think those sorts of features at, as technology moves on and, and uh, consumers become more savvy about uh, particularly the, the safety features, um, those sorts of things become more valuable to the consumer and so they're prepared to pay for it. Um, and if you're not, uh, well, then you go and you look at another model that doesn't necessarily have all the bells and whistles. Okay, so on that basis, it's pretty much from what you're saying from the buyer's perspective, that the buyer has to perceive the value that the agency is offering them. Correct. That would be difficult if the market is a commoditized market, wouldn't it? Um, it is. And for some services that agencies offer, you could say that it is a commodity, but for uh, the majority of services and certainly the type of services that um, advertisers uh, turn to agencies for, uh, that's not a commodity. So um, great strategic thinking, um, great creative, those are the sorts of things that uh, agencies can stand out from their competition um, and potentially charge more for as opposed to the, the commoditized services like straight buying of media or um, producing artwork and, and, and those sorts of things. So, and, and look, those commodity areas are things that are the most likely to be challenged by technology. You know, one of the things I said in the introduction is generative AI and AI technology generally is being focused on making processes much more efficient, you know, by remo removing the human element. Yeah. So I imagine that if there's areas of the advertising and marketing process that are going to be automated through AI, then they're probably likely to be the ones that are more commoditized anyway. Exactly. And that's what agencies are struggling with moving to this model. Um, how do they therefore price 
the premium services that they're offering based on the, the, the thinking and, and uh, the insights that uh, their practitioners can, can give to clients um, as opposed to uh, the, the more commoditized services which um, uh, are, are much more easily priced, I think. Yeah, because that's one of the problems, isn't it, with the cost-based model is that it does lock you into a formula that goes across all services and all roles in that, you know, you have a, an hourly rate, which will vary depending on seniority and, and, and the type of role or discipline or capabilities that person has. Then you have billable hours per year. You have an overhead which is applied across the whole agency and then a profit. Right. So, so it, it locks in the model to be for all agency services. And so whether you're charging you know, $1,000 an hour for your chief creative officer or your head of strategy, your strategy director, the same formula also gets you down to you know $100 or $90 an hour for your account exec or your uh, you know your junior designer in the studio, doesn't it? So there's not a lot of flexibility in that because the cost recovery has to be consistent. Yeah, effectively, the agency is is placing the same value on all the services that it provides. Yes, there's varying degrees depending on the, the, the seniority, but effectively, because it's that same cost recovery model, the same value is placed on all the services it provides, but that's not necessarily how the buyer, the advertiser, is going to perceive to them uh, the value of those services. Well, and we've seen that, haven't we? We've seen that slow leakage of, for instance, production work away from very large or, or established agencies off to more low-cost uh, opportunities, you know, the, the Hogarths and the Olivers of the world who are offering to do a certain component of what agencies do at a much lower cost base on a cost-based model. Yeah, once upon a time, those sorts of services were very uh, craft-focused, whereas as technology has improved and as uh, the media landscape changed so that uh, uh, lots of fast turnaround content for social media channels, for example, is needed, those sorts of craft-based uh, production facilities uh, no longer have as much relevance. And, and that's why, as you say, the proliferation of the uh, faster turnaround, lower cost production uh, centres has uh, shown that the advertisers' uh, perception of the value of those services has has, has diminished. I, yeah. I, I, need, I don't need the craft, I just need lots of it and, and uh, I need it quickly. Trinity P3. The other thing that's impacted this is obviously, uh, you know, the social and digital media channels that have created such a large explosion of demand for that content. You know, it's not like that the agencies are being asked to come up with thousands of, you know, let's call them ideas or creative platforms, but what they are being asked to do is come up with thousands of executions of that creative platform to feed the, you know, the Instagrams and the TikToks and the, of the world with new content every day. And, and that scalability demands automation because the, the traditional way that agencies did that, almost like the, the craft workshop, doesn't actually scale that uh, cost effectively, does it? It doesn't. And uh, 
again, we've seen that um, advertisers are moving away from agencies who traditionally did those things uh, to those specialist practitioners, as, as you talk about. And I think agencies are grappling with, well, how do I play in that space? Because they're equally capable of uh, performing those functions, but on that cost recovery model, they're always going to be too expensive. Okay, so, you know, obviously there's a big advantage for agencies and yet of moving to a value-based price model. But there is a lot of resistance, isn't there? And, and you know, from your time as being a CFO, finance director inside agencies, if someone said to you, we're going to move from our cost recovery model to a value-based pricing model, what would be the steps in your mind that you'd need to go through to actually do that? Yep. I think, uh, again, one of the, the problems with uh, a lot of what's out there around this space is that uh, it's almost, well, what can I get away with charging? And, and any number is ascribed to it. Um, and I don't think that that's the, uh, the, the, the right approach. I think you need to ask uh, the agency needs to ask themselves a few questions. So what are we currently charging? You can't just uh, throw out any random number. It still needs to be um, market competitive. And the best place to start is, well, what am I currently charging for these services uh, under the, 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 the cost recovery model? And look, I'll just jump in there, Nick, because you know, it's not like a, a, when you're running an agency, you're actually charging the same price for the same service across all your clients, is it? No. Yeah, you've got a portfolio of clients and some will be paying a premium for like-for-like uh, -like services compared to others, you know? That's right. Uh, no client is on exactly the same rate card. So uh, having that variation is, is, is somewhat built into the, uh, the, the cost recovery model. So imagine looking at your own portfolio of clients and looking at what the typical total cost to client is of each of those from an agency perspective is a really good place to get a sense of the range of what the current pricing is in the market. Yeah, absolutely. So you can look at that range and determine uh, well, what services um, are we charging a premium for? Uh, and what services are we treating more as a commodity and, and, and charging less for? So that's the next thing to look at um, in addition to what are we currently charging, breaking it down to that premium offering versus the commodity offering. And then looking at that portfolio of clients, um, do we have clients that are, are prepared to pay a premium for certain services uh, or are there clients that uh, we know are price averse and, and uh, are looking for a more commoditized service? And then making your pricing decisions within that uh, that that spectrum accordingly. Yeah, it's interesting because you know when, when we're running a pitch process for a client, you know, I don't think that I'd find many clients that on the general question of are you happy paying a premium would say, oh, absolutely, yes, very happy. But interestingly, when you get into the proposition of what the agency is offering, particularly around things like strategic and creative thinking, um, uh, uh, connection point planning for media, you know, there are certain services where they perceive value and that under the current cost model, they link that value to particular individuals. And it's really interesting because I've seen and had the conversations where they go, well, I really need the head of strategy or I ne really need the head of connections planning, 100% committed to my business. Now, first of all, incredibly expensive because those senior people have very high salaries plus the overhead profit on the cost recovery. The second thing is 
they're going to already be significantly committed to other clients. So even if you wanted them 100% of the time, you're never going to get them. Yeah, and I think also the, the fallacy that uh, it's that sole individual that's uh, driving all the great ideas and all the insights. I mean, one of the uh, reasons that agencies are engaged is the, the, the teamwork in, involved that uh, uh, there is uh, no one person that uh, is going to be better than a group of individuals come together to solve a problem. So um, you are going to get that whether you are paying for the individual in a cost-based model or whether you're paying for it in an output-based model. The agency is going to put their best people forward to try and solve the problem that they've been engaged to in order to, uh, uh, to deliver the right result for the client. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a mistake to assume that uh, you only need that one person or that the, uh, the, agent, uh, the advertiser is, is uh, going to not have the access or the, the contribution from that uh, one person that they want. Mm. Um, the agency is going to wheel out the best people for the job, um, otherwise they'll end up getting fired. Yeah, exactly. But from an agency's perspective, okay, well, you've looked at the uh, range of what you're charging for it. You've got a client, let's say you've got clients that, you know, want a discount. They don't want to pay a premium, but you've got others that you can enter into a conversation of where do you see the value in, in what we're offering? Ultimately, they're going to decide whether something is value or not, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's completely the buyer's perspective. Yeah, and it's been interesting because we've had a couple of pitches recently where while we've gone in with a scope of work and asked for a resource plan and a cost, we've had agencies come back with a pricing model where they've said for this num you know, this type of deliverable, and, and there's been you know, a, a number of defined deliverables driven by the agency, they've put a price on that, haven't they? Yeah, so they've basically taken what we've been talking about uh, and decided that uh, um, we believe that uh, that basket of services, uh, that basket of goods uh, should cost X. Um, this is what you're going to get for it. And then it just involves uh, a conversation, negotiation with the client to, to, to reach a, a level of fee that the um, advertiser is happy to be paying for the perception of value that they see in, in what the agency is offering. It was interesting from my perspective how procurement, who were incredibly comfortable with hourly rates and billable hours and thing, and you know, overhead and profit, found that whole pricing model incredibly confronting, you know, because it was like, it's a price. How do I even begin to analyse the price? And, and that's where our approach to actually you know, being able to break down the the underlying resources and costs to actually then replicate a benchmark price, weren't we? Yeah, so we've got the benchmarks that we've built up over the last 20 years. They are still valid as to what is a market competitive price for, for that particular suite of services or that particular basket of goods. Um, you don't necessarily need to be comparing all the underlying metrics behind it, the hourly rates and the hours it takes to uh, to do that, the overall price at the end for that particular suite of services, as, as I say, uh, our approach is still quite valid to tell a client, tell an advertiser whether they are paying a fair market price for that and then they need to decide whether they perceive that 
there's value in paying that particular agency based on the team involved or uh, their approach or, or whatever it, it, uh, the other deciding decision factors may be, whether they believe there's value in paying that amount. Yeah. Trinity P3. I know it was an interesting conversation because people are inclined to think benchmark means that's what you should pay. But in that particular example, being able to say, well, the agency wants to charge, let's say, half a million dollars for this particular bundle of work. And we were able to benchmark that and show that for a tier one agency to do that work in that market would come in at, say, 480000 Then they were able to make a decision as to, is it worth the 20000 premium or not? Or is that a point of, of you know, because you can still negotiate price. Yes. You know, it's not like negotiation goes out the window. And considering value-based pricing is about the perceived value that the buyer has of those services, it becomes a, a probably a more robust conversation rather than a nitpicking detail conversation. Yeah, I was going to say, usually those negotiations end up down in the minutiae of, uh, uh, well, uh, this person should be doing fewer hours and this person's hourly rate's too much. Uh, no. This is the price that the agency has quoted. We believe it to be a, a, a fair price. Now it's a discussion about, well, what's the advertiser's perception of uh, value uh, are they prepared to pay a premium for, for those services uh, or not? And, uh, and and the discussion goes as a result. Now, you know, again, thinking back to your agency days, because I know there's still quite a few agencies that struggle with this idea of moving from a cost-based model to a value pricing model. What what do you think are some of the big obstacles? And and I've got a story to share with you, but I'd be interested in your perspective. Yeah, I think the biggest one is under the cost-based model, agencies have a certain degree of certainty over what their income's going to be. They know how much they need to charge for each of their people. And uh, on a full portfolio of clients, they will be able to ascertain that uh, uh, Darren Woolley is, is now uh, 92% recovered in his cost. And uh, that level of certainty, particularly for the larger network agencies that have got shareholders and boards and so on to, uh, to, to answer to provides a lot of comfort. So that's the first thing. You need to um, perhaps get out of that comfort zone a little bit with the knowledge that you might also be able to uh, over-recover on those individuals, even though you aren't necessarily uh, recovering the cost per se in the way that the, the, the pricing has been structured. Um, but accepting that there, you, you might not be able to uh, uh, pinpoint exactly what it is you're recovering on every single person in your agency is the first thing that you need to be able to step away from. Well, I had that uh, conversation with a regional CFO who said to me, oh, it'll be impossible. You know, there's no way we can manage this. And I said, look, all I'm asking you to do is to transform yourself from a labour hire for firm where you're actually renting people out to us on an hourly basis, which is what you're doing now, and he looked at me confused, to actually running a, a creative business. And first of all, he was insulted by that because he thought he was running a creative business. And I said, but if you're running a creative business, you're charging for the value of the creativity that those people and you are bringing to the client's business which is not based on cost recovery by hour. That's a labour hire firm. That's 
you need some people to do a particular job, I'll hire them out to you at this rate because I know I'll recover my cost plus make some profit. Yeah, it's, it's funny because the, the CFO uh, will usually have the conversation about, well, I need to make sure that I'm recovering these people to these percentages. The CEO or the managing director is usually more concerned with winning pitches and getting uh, more revenue in the door. They don't care necessarily where it comes from or who's doing the work or who's making it. Um, we just want a uh, half a million, million dollar client Yay! Fantastic. Um, so it's it, it, it's interesting that the, the CFOs potentially are the ones that need to uh, to, to let up. go a little bit from yeah. the uh, the, the rec- uh, knowing exactly what they're recovering on every single individual and worry more about uh, what the overall top lines looking like. I think perhaps that's why we're seeing more flexibility in the indies than we do in some of the network agencies because the network agencies, as you say, most are publicly listed, most have uh, reporting lines and some of the things that they're reporting on is cost recovery and, and, and profit margins for each of their business units. So that's probably where that culture of you know worrying about the cost recovery comes from rather than an, an independent agency has that ability with the owners there saying, you know, as long as we're making good profit, I'm not really worried about where the cost recovery sits. Yeah, and I think that's also why uh, retainers are still popular um, in a lot of those multinational agencies because uh, it just takes that degree of certainty to another level. Yeah. Not only do I know exactly how much am I recovering on each of my people, uh, I know I've got it in set in stone for the next 12 months. Um, you know, we've seen uh, a lot of advertisers move away from wanting to pay big retainers to their agencies and, and uh, engaging on a project-by-project project basis. And uh, a lot of uh, multinational networks are uncomfortable with that as well, which is the uh, the, 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 the next point, segues nicely, the next problem that uh, a lot of agencies worry that they will lose where they have retainers in place at the moment. This is the thin end of the wedge that's going to drive them towards uh, project-based fees rather than those big retainers that uh, many are still currently enjoying. And I think the reality there is that if you are engaged by a, a, a client to do a scope of work, whether that is chunked up into 12 equal monthly instalments or into different uh, deliverables and paid for by the project, it all amounts to the same thing. Yeah, look, I, mean, I, I use the example of you know, building blocks. You know, if, if each project is a building block and we agree a number of projects for the year, then we can immediately turn that into an effective retainer because we can add up the amount that I think I'm going to spend with you and then even better, track along the way what is actually delivered and see if we need to adjust it, either up or down. You know, if the agency is doing more work and I'm asking them to do more projects and more deliverables, more outputs, then there should be a commensurate way that doesn't rely on keeping timesheets and going through Excel spreadsheets of how many hours were spent as a way of justifying it because the productivity is in the deliverables. Yeah, I think a lot of those big retainers are built just on the resources. Uh, mm. There may not be a scope of work in place uh, to, to build out a retainer that's based on deliverables. Yeah. So it's based on the resources. And so um, immediately the agency, uh, instead of... Uh, counting those hours and, and making sure that they're recovering those costs 
is now having to focus on something else. Where in actual fact, that's what they should be focusing on and not focusing on what's going into it, but focus on what's coming out. And as you say, if there are additional projects that are uh, being briefed, then getting paid more for those projects. The other one uh, that, Nick, that I've heard a lot of agencies and particularly agency management talk about is their fear around missing out on price, particularly in a pitch. Yeah, and we, we run a lot of pitches. So, you know, this idea that they go, yeah, but if I put a price down, because to the point that you made earlier, that the value is perceived by the buyer. If I put a price down and, and they don't see the value, then I could miss out. And I could miss out if someone comes in cheaper than me, you know, because they're cheaper. But this goes to this whole commoditization of the category, because if the client is going to buy purely on who's the cheapest, then you're effectively assuming that we're working in a commodity category. And yet we know the clients value agencies for their strategic and their creative thinking you know, and the rigour of their account management and the leadership that the agency brings to the relationship. You know, it's just bizarre that this fear of missing out on price. Yeah. And the reality is you could miss out on price under the hourly rate card model anyway. So uh, it, 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 I think it's a understandable but perhaps slightly irrational. Uh, and, the, and the key there is to make sure that you are putting your best foot forward in the pitch whether it be a creative presentation or a credentials or whatever the case may be, to display your agency's capabilities in those areas that advertisers are likely to value more strategy, creative, those sorts of things, and, and, and focus less on the, uh, uh, the commoditized services, that, or at least the services that advertisers are uh, likely to deem uh, commodities, and as we were saying before, you can't charge whatever you want, but it certainly, if you put your best foot forward, uh, makes a better case for the price that you do put up mm. uh, than if you don't. And of course, as we said, you might have the uh, the most expensive hourly rate, which could knock you out of the uh, the equation under the old model anyway. And look, you know, in in another services industry, we've seen some prime examples of you know in cosmetic surgery, the difference between a uh, a qualified plastic surgeon who will charge thousands of dollars compared to some of these cosmetic uh, uh, companies, clinics that are set up by someone that's basically a GP. You know, if you buy surgery on price, then in many ways you, you have to accept also the risks that are associated with it. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, while that's an extreme example for advertising, I think that's part of the conversation for clients to start to have the, the thought around what do I need to invest in to get the quality of the work I need and where are the areas that I can compromise on quality to go for price alone, unless the whole market is commoditized, in which case it literally is a race to the bottom. And, and look, I don't think it is. I think there are some clients that will always shop around on price, but I think a pricing model is a great way to at least establish a perception of the value being delivered by the way you price your own services. Yeah, and as we said before, it just uh, narrows the focus of the, any negotiation that does happen to the important pieces rather than looking at uh, uh, squabbling over the number of hours um, or $5 an hour in the hourly rates. Uh, it's, this is the price 
if the client um, potentially doesn't perceive that uh, it's worth that, then that's the conversation. Based on um, everything that you've shown us in your presentation, the, the people that you have and the team you have at your disposal, uh, we're not prepared to pay that, uh, come back with another offer. But it's purely based on the uh, ad, uh, the ad agency trying to determine what, what it is that the advertiser wants mm. rather than fiddling around with uh, um, the number of hours when... Or discounting your overhead rate yeah. or, you know, you know whatever. Yeah. Now, it's not just the agencies, is it? The, the clients, are, the marketers and the procurement teams also struggle with this, don't they? Yeah, they do. So we've already touched on one about the, the, the fear that the, uh, they won't get access to the, the, the talent or the, the individuals in the agency that they believe need to be uh, engaged on them 100%. Um, a lot of marketers don't necessarily know or see where the value in their own business lies and uh, how do I quantify that when I'm trying to procure services to help move that along. Um, not knowing what services they potentially should or could be paying a premium for that are, are going to commercially impact their business versus what is a commodity and, and uh, uh, what should I potentially be paying less for yeah, and yet, you know, we've worked with uh, companies that have a portfolio of brands, okay? But the client is managing a portfolio of brands. Some of those brands are high value to the company. They either drive significant revenue, uh, a, a supermarket shelf space, and, and good margins. There are others that have got great growth opportunities. And then there's others that are almost like legacy brands that they're managing the decline, right? It's interesting because budgeting, the investment that the company makes in each of those is actually a reflection of the value that each of those brands has to the business on a financial basis. Like you're not going to take a marketing budget and apportion it equally to each brand you're going to invest in the ones that have the most value. So it's already built into a way of thinking about how you invest rather than spend. Yeah. And that <clears throat> if you're investing more, would you therefore look for more premium and, and better quality, hopefully, in uh, ways of investing in those premium brands and look at minimising the cost on the ones that you're managing to climb? Now, this is not an abstract uh, business approach. This is actually a very tangible one, isn't it? It is, and I don't think a lot of agencies pick up on those cues, to be frank. I, I think they uh, uh, don't completely understand, and if they don't, perhaps they should ask, why is this product being given the lion's share of the budget and this product not? It may well indeed be obvious, but uh, perhaps it's not, and so... That miscommunication, uh, that, that uh, misunderstanding between what the advertiser deems to be important and what the agency thinks is important uh, can sometimes get in the way of these sorts of arrangements working. Trinity P3. We've even seen situations where uh, agencies have tried to, because of their cost base or cost recovery model, have tried to charge the same premiums across the various brands that they're managing, 
only to then lose particular brands because they just don't represent value for those lower price brands or those areas where it's been, you know, unjustifiable to pay the agency's premium. The agency doesn't perceive that they're charging a premium mm. and the client is quite happy to pay that rate for those brands that justify it from a financial perspective, but then they'll lose the parts of the business that are unjustified. And it seems like, a, 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 a to your point, a loss of sort of business savvy of not being able to alter the pricing to actually represent where value exists for the client. Yeah, and, and look, again, perhaps that comes down to misunderstanding and the, the, the agency not picking up on the signs of uh, underinvestment in one particular brand versus overinvestment in, in, in another. Perhaps there needs to be a, a more open dialogue. The agency probably needs to instigate that so they can better understand what matters to the advertiser and then price it accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there's one other area, isn't there, that uh, clients really struggle with. And and I think it's not just with value-based pricing, but the whole move to project fees. Because, you know, and, and to your point earlier, agencies fear that value-based pricing could encourage a project-based approach. But even marketers, when you're having this conversation, start going, well, if we're paying them for doing the things that we need them to do, does that mean they'll stop thinking about my business when I'm not paying them? Yeah, I, I think this comes down to um, advertisers quite offering off, often having a uh, an overinflated uh, self-importance that the agency is constantly thinking about their business, which we know is not true. Uh, agencies have multiple clients, and and uh, the the practitioners and especially the, uh, the the key person on those agencies are working and thinking about multiple clients at the one time and not always thinking about one particular um, advertiser. Um, but I, I think that um, if the agency is any good and if the relationship is good, um, at various points the agency is going to uh, think about the uh, client's brand and come up with ideas that, will, uh, uh, that are unbriefed that will uh, help drive the the uh, advertiser's brand forward, and um, but what's the uh, the usual refrain? Or well, I haven't got any budget for that. So <laughs> yes, I want you to think about my business beyond the scope of what I need you to do, but don't ask me for money to actually execute it because the budget's been spent. I think also there's there's an element of the relationship that goes beyond purely the financials. And that is the clients that are constantly engaging the agency in solving problems, right? So the one and the ones that value the agency's input are the ones that are inclined to have people in the agency thinking about their business. Yeah. You know, that it's not just about solving an advertising problem, but actually engaging the agency, no, I'll take think about other problems, business problems, marketing problems that they have, and more importantly, listening to the solutions and enacting some of the solutions in the in the you know the overall project. Because that's really where the agency feels a greater sense of you know partnership. As an industry we throw partnership around and yet, you know, let's be honest, it really is a transactional buyer-supplier relationship. There are services and there are um, are buyers that are buying those services. Where it gets 
uh, rises above that is where they actually start treating each other as equals in many ways to solve bigger problems than just providing the services. Yeah, and I think that's where something like value-based pricing comes into its own because we often hear uh, from agencies that, uh, well, there's no point me spending time thinking about the advertiser's business because I'm not going to get paid for it. Uh, If there's not a big retainer that uh, covers those people to think outside of briefs, But these are the scenarios where that partnership, genuine partnership is in place, that the advertiser is more likely to uh, be paying a premium to the agency to get that level of thinking that's uh, that's not on brief. And uh, I I think that solves that that eternal problem of agencies feeling as though they don't get paid uh, for that out of brief thinking. Under the value-based model, they potentially will. Yeah, and and as we touched on earlier, you know, just because you've got a pricing model doesn't mean that you can't pay it effectively as a retainer anyway for, you know, covering all those other services. It's just that now the retainer in quotes is linked to particular deliverables. Yeah. And I think that's incredibly valuable. So uh, just to recap Uh, Value-based pricing is not cost or performance-based. Cost recovery and performance-based, it's actually about perceived value. There are specific steps agencies can take to start building a sense of what represents value in their marketplace. And the first one is look at what you're currently charging your existing clients. But many of the obstacles the agencies perceive, and particularly the CFOs or finance directors perceive, is really letting go of their reporting and embracing the opportunity of being remunerated or or paid based on the value perceived to deliver. And finally, clients need to also realise that it's not radically changing the marketplace beyond what they've already seen as the the shift towards project fees and away from retainers. Yeah. Excellent. We've we've solved it. (laughs) If only, Nick, (laughs) if only. Look, thank you. Uh, Thanks for coming back into uh, managing marketing and having the conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, Last question, and that is, uh, you know, so do you ever see a day where timesheets will only ever be used as a sort of internal management tool and and not a way of reconciling uh, agency fee structures? (laughs) 